All right. Good morning to you. And we are so glad that you are here. Thanks for coming to Dorisville. If you're a visitor for the first time, a guest, glad you're here. If you're a repeat visitor, well, your family don't even know it yet. And the rest of you guys, well, you know your family. And we're glad that you are here. Thanks so much for coming. And here we are, what, week number four in our series of My Country, My Calling. And I'm really excited about the message day. Just a hair nervous, though. Because it's one of those times when God did a last night rewrite. So it's always exciting when that happens because I never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen every week. That's normal for you, but it's not normal for me. So anyway, so I'm excited though because it came together. I mean, it finally came together. It really just like clicked. You know, on, on April the 1st, 1975, <laughs> when Judy was 16... And I was old <laughs> and dating her. can't believe her mom and dad allowed that, by the way. It's crazy. So we're sitting on the couch, you know, that, that night. And I don't remember there, gee, there being a lot of planning about this. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, out of my mouth, I said, you know, I'd like to marry you. And she goes, yeah. See, I know you don't do that now. They send you to jail for that now. Um, but anyway, so, so I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to marry you. And she goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, I mean, it's April Fool's Day, for goodness sake. You know what I mean? So, but no, this fool was serious. This fool was serious. And so, yeah, so, so we became engaged. And a year and a half later, we were married. I waited until she was 18 to get married. I thought that might be uh, the appropriate thing to do. But, you know, it's just, it really just, I wanted to, I realized I wanted to spend my life with her. And even though we were both kind of young, she was young and I was kind of young. And uh, guess what? Here we are, 43 years later, still having the time of our lives. And she still looks like she's 16. That's pretty amazing. Uh, really cool. But anyway, and then, and then, and then like October the 26th, 1975, just what, six months later, I, I got up and went to church. I was the worship leader in a church. And again, we always went to church. And, and in Sunday school, the pastor said, you know, told a story about a deacon who got saved. And, and like a light came on. And I realized, oh, gosh, here I am, the worship leader. I'm lost as a ghost. And so that morning, Pastor and I went to his office and got saved, Dave. It was just a cool thing. Met Jesus. What an epiphany. And I didn't even know that was going to happen. And life has been a series of those moments when you go, aha. And in a much smaller way, granted, I really had an epiphany about this message. The title... First off was going to be uh, the power of godliness. You know, we've been doing the power of the gospel, the power of prayer. You know, those have been our themes. But then I had the power of godliness. And about early on, oh, last, last week, I changed the title to the power of righteousness. I just knew that was more on target. And so I had Psalm, uh, Proverbs 14.34 picked out and then Psalm 33. And I did the sermon sheet, felt pretty comfortable with it, you know. But about Thursday, God really started speaking to my heart. And I could tell it was going to be something different. I, he was going to show me something that was needed to be said, needed to be taught, and that was different. And so, lo and behold, it started happening. And I won't share any more than that. But it happened. And so last night was like a total rewrite of the message. Now, the scriptures are a lot the same. Um, thank you, Beth. She sat down and put the new scriptures in that need to be changed. Um, last night, I spent time, if you've got the, I hope you got you version, got your electronic device, and open up the Bible app, and click on more, and go to events, and you'll see it there. In fact, you'll notice, if you look careful, it says two there. It's because it's a rewrite. And last night, I was able to get most of the scriptures in there. So if you're using the Bible app, it's a great day to do that. Okay, appreciate that very much. And, and, and the sermon sheet still kind of falls along. So all those different ways that we try to get the scripture in front of you mostly working. Guess what? All the scriptures are still in your Bible. 
How about that? Are y'all going to laugh or not? <laughs> All right. But anyway, yeah. So I'm really excited about this. But the power of righteousness really became the big theme. And the big scripture turned out to be Proverbs 14.34. You know, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And what happened, I started thinking about what does it mean that righteousness exalts a nation? What does that mean? Well, I paused and I said, you know what? What, what makes a nation a nation? You know, I, I wrote nation is neutral. Nation is neutral. Okay? A nation is borders and resources and assets in a form of government. That's what uh, you know, a nation is. That's just what it is. It's neutral. It's kind of like money, you know. I would pull my wallet out and show you a piece of money, but as Brent well knows, I never have any money in my wallet. Sometimes that works to my advantage and sometimes my disadvantage, so he'll usually buy lunch. Um, but anyway, so I, if I pull out money, money's neutral, okay? Money's a tool. It's not good and it's not bad. It's just money. Money can be used as a tool. Money can be used for good. And money can be used for evil. It's just kind of neutral. And then a weapon, a gun, you know. You know, a weapon, you know, a gun is simply neutral. A weapon can be used to stop a crime or commit a crime. A weapon can be used to save a life or take a life. It can. It's just neutral. It's what happens in the hands of a person that determines that. Money, what happens in the hands of a person, determines that. And a nation... It's just neutral. A nation is a nation until you bring people into the picture. And it's people that makes a nation. You know, you know, a nation and a people can be moral, but they never can be righteous by themselves, in and of themselves. A nation can be moral. For so long, we would have said that America was a moral nation, okay? And a nation can be moral, and a people can be moral, but they never can be righteous in and of themselves, okay? In fact, you know, it's funny. A nation can be Christian, okay? You know, Christian's such a nice, warm, fuzzy, generic term, you know? Um, it's amazing. You know, one of our deacons handles our benevolence program, and he could tell you, you know, they go to a house, you know, and say, um, so, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, 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 great. You go to church? No. You pray? Uh, no. You read your Bible? No. You hate your wife? Oh, yeah, I really do. But, but you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's a nice, warm, generic, fuzzy term. In fact, it's funny, you know, really the one time that Christians mentioned in the Bible is when it was used as a slam against the people who walked and followed Jesus Christ. Okay? So, so we used to say American was a Christian nation. Now, I used to push back on that recently, but you know what? That's such a generic term. What does being a Christian mean? It means a lot of things to a lot of people. That's why I like the term disciple. I like the term Christ follower. Those are definitive. Though you, can't, you can't stretch that one too much, Brent. Christ follower and disciple of Christ, you really can't stretch that one too far other than to mean I follow Jesus Christ and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So a nation can be moral, but it cannot be righteous in and of itself. I like that term righteous. Let me read some scriptures to you. This is one, these are ones you probably know, okay? Uh, Romans 3.10, okay? If you know the Romans road, okay? How to lead people to Jesus, this is in there. As it is written, there is no one righteous, 
No, not once. That's why I said a nation in and of itself and people in and of itself cannot be righteous because there are none righteous. No, not one. Um, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who, who does good, not even one. So that's why I said a nation is neutral and a nation can be moral. In a sense, a nation can be Christian, but it can never be righteous without the help of God. Okay, Righteousness exalts a nation, but righteousness belongs to God. I, I keep telling people, you know, don't get all worked up about them redefining marriage. They can call it what they want to, but God belongs, you know, marriage belongs to God. It's God's. And God's definition of marriage is one man and one woman. Period. That's the way it is. They can say it's society and culture if you want to, but the bottom line is marriage belongs to God. And righteousness belongs strictly to God. I really like Isaiah 64, 6, and this is kind of where Paul got that thought from Romans chapter 3. We are all like an unclean thing. We are all in our natural state, like an unclean thing. Now watch. And all our righteousness is like filthy rags. See what I'm saying? All our righteousness. So, so our attempt to be right with God, God, our attempt to appease God is like filthy rags. I mean, no matter how much you go to church, how much money you give, no matter whatever you do, okay... And it's just something we need to hear occasionally, okay? Because we really get to a point in our lives, the longer we've been saved, we get this thought idea that, boy, isn't God blessed to have me on his team, okay? Just keep in mind what God saved you from. He said, all your righteous like filthy rags. And there are two, I will give you one, there are two that theologians say this is probably what it means, okay? But this is what they're referring to when they would wrap a very infected sore in rags and become full of pus and all those different things. That's what, the, that's what it's referring to when it says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So when it says righteousness exalts a nation, we know it can't be of our own selves. It can't be something that we gin up to make it happen. It has to be something different. So what makes a nation is the people, and what makes a righteous people is only God. A nation is what it is because of the people, and what makes a righteous nation is righteous people. You following that? You tracking with that? This is really important because, because it means we have a great responsibility. It means we have a huge responsibility. When I asked you to marry me and she married me, I took on a huge responsibility. Four and a half years later, when God blessed us with our first child, I took on a huge responsibility. When I surrendered to the ministry, I had responsibility in the Air Force, but it was nothing like being a pastor. I took on a huge responsibility. Well, God has entrusted us with this huge responsibility of being his righteous people. All right? Now, so this. Righteous, in its simplest form, it means two things, but righteousness in its simplest form means this. It, be, it means to be made right with God. Now, you need to write that down. Righteousness means to be made right with God. Romans 1.17 says, The good news shows how God... Now, watch. The good news shows how God makes people right with Himself. Now, what He didn't say is that we make ourselves right with God. You know, the good news is not that if I go to church enough, I become right with God. First off, that's not the good news, and it would be bad news, because we could never go to church enough. 
Um, I, I help enough people. I give enough money. I serve enough in the church. Um, I change diapers in the nursery for 40 years. It gains me righteousness. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. God, all right, righteousness means right with God, and it's God who makes us right. The good news is that God declares us right. God makes us right. How? By what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, this is something I know. A lot of y'all go to church every week, okay? And you go, oh, this is that story. Yeah, we know this part. We know this part. Well, just enjoy it one more time, okay? Because the Bible said that every person is unrighteous. Every person has sin. And there's nothing we can do that. We're separated from God, okay? And so what God does is God lays the price down for sin. Now, this is pretty amazing. God lays the, lays, lays the price down for sin. The wages, the payment for sin is death. We all deserve to be totally separated from God forever. Forever. We are eternal beings. All of us are. Saved and lost. We're eternal beings. And we deserve to be eternally separated from God. So God laid down the price, death, and then pays the price. He sends Jesus down, born of a virgin, God-man, 100% God, 100% man, Lives a perfect, sinless life. At 30, goes public with it. You know, teaches for three years. Pours his life into 12 guys, you know. 11, you know, stick around. One does not. All right? And so then, and then when the time was right, you know, he allows himself to be crucified. And notice what I said. He allows himself to be crucified. He dies on the cross something like this, okay, willingly. It wasn't a martyr deal. It wasn't a murder deal. It was a God deal. And he allowed himself to be crucified because the payment for sin was death. And he was willing to die on a Roman cross. He died physically and died spiritually. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. Jesus Christ became sin on the cross and God literally turned his back when he became that sin. That is so powerful and so great. And all that was so God could declare us righteous. When we choose to Believe When we choose to believe in what Jesus did here, God declares us righteous. Let me tell you the good news about that. Guys, we don't do very good in the husband department all the time. And so your wife may call you everything in the world, okay? But here's the deal. All the names that she calls you, and maybe even you deserve them, can never change what God says about you. When you are declared righteous, you are declared righteous. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with, with boy, I think I can be good now. Okay, I can change habits. Um, I, can, I can get religion. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with believing in Jesus Christ and God declaring, I love that word, declaring you righteous. Listen to this. Here's Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, when we have been declared righteous by doing, nope. When we declared righteous by um, the way we think, nope. When we are declared righteous by what we give, nope. When we are declared righteous by faith, by our faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, we're at war with God. And after Jesus, we're at peace with God. Isn't that good? Come on, isn't that? You don't want to be on God's bad side. He loves you. I'm telling you, if you're sitting there, I don't believe in this God thing. 
Well, you, okay, he, you're an age of grace. You've got a chance to change that. But you do not want to spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from God, and without Jesus. That's where you're headed. Okay? Not church, not religion, but if you die without Jesus, you will spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from God. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is. That's not Baptist, that's Bible. That's Bible. And here, listen to this Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, it wasn't like we had this epiphany and we turned into nice people, okay? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous, there it is again, declared right with God, declared right with God, now been declared righteous by his blood, will be saved through him from wrath. I will never, listen, if you know Jesus, you'll never face the wrath of God. That's incredible. That's what hell is all about. Hell, you know, hell, and I really hadn't mentioned, mentioned so much about hell, but, you know, hell is God giving you what you want. If, if, you, if you choose to die without Jesus, God's just saying, okay. You know, if you don't want me, then okay, you can spend eternity without me. Okay? And you experience the wrath and judgment of God for your sins for all eternity. But he wants to declare, he wants to declare you righteous by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, so you can be saved through him from wrath. From wrath. So, so the big picture is this. If a nation is a people, the people, and if only God to declare those people right with him, okay? And if that is the only way, way to avert God's wrath, that's pretty big. That means the hope for America really is Jesus Christ. The hope to avert God's wrath is Jesus Christ. Just like if you trusted Christ as Savior and believed in him, so you have averted God's wrath. The only way a nation can avert God's wrath is by faith in Jesus Christ. And it has to happen individually. It doesn't happen as a nation. Again, the nation of Israel will not one day be redeemed as a group. They will be redeemed as they personally and individually come to the realization that Jesus Christ is Messiah. That's how that's going to happen. Okay? So the hope for America, Brent, is that we... As the righteousness of God, live out that righteousness and lead people to Jesus Christ. And that's how righteousness exalts a nation. When, when the people of a nation as, as in mass begin to turn to Jesus Christ. Now listen, listen. I'm not talking about this. I prayed a prayer 50 years ago and I live like the devil the rest of the time. I'm talking about genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am talking about the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ poured out and worked out in our lives. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what America so desperately needs. The church has got to be the church. The church has got to rise up in their, in their power of Christ and in their righteousness and, and lead this nation back to God one soul at a time. One soul at a time. So if righteousness then positionally means being right with God, but there's also a side of righteousness that we live out. There's a practical side of righteousness that we live out. Now, 
We don't live out righteousness to appease God. That was done here. As we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the, the wrath of God was atoned for by Jesus Christ. So we don't live out righteousness to appease God. Because once we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, that appeasement is taken care of. So we don't do it, but we do it to express our love for Him and as a witness of His kingdom. Okay? We, we live our righteousness to show our love for Him. I, I told Joey, and I, I'm, Joe, I'm still going to give you a name mention, okay? But I won't do the other part, but I'll mention Joey's name. Because I thought about Joey. Oh, I, I'll just give a little story. You know, Joey has this incredible tattoo on his shoulder that tells the entire story of his family. You know, Liz, the kids, their love, it's incredible. After church, say, pull your shoulder, I'm going to see it. Matter of fact, you just want to stand at the door with me and we'll just have him pull your shoulder up. You know, I'll show you mine too. Oh, it's invisible. <laughs> anyway, so here's a new trend. So people, and I know a couple, maybe more than a couple, that, that they have a wedding band sometimes, but they tattoo their wedding band on their finger. I like that. I've done it, but I like that. I, you've seen TV shows or maybe you had a friend who was having a little thing on the side with his wife and he would leave work and you would watch him slip his wedding band off and put it in his pocket. Let me tell you something. When you tattoo that dude on, there ain't no slipping it off. It is a permanent sign that I love. I'm, I don't know who owns a tattoo parlor, but you're getting some business. When you get that tattooed on your wedding ring, on your finger, you're saying, I love my wife, and it ain't going to change. Righteousness is our spiritual tattoo that we belong to God. When we live out righteousness before a lost nation, it is declaring to them that we belong to God. We are, in fact, the Bible calls us this, we are the bride of Christ. It's important we live out our righteousness that way. Now, how does that look like? What does it look like? Well, again, these are scriptures you know, but that's okay. You are the salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. You know, I found a new illustration for that. You know, Becca and Jonathan and, and the crew, the tribe, are out on vacation and don't rob their house because we're there, is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay? So don't go down and buy in and rob their house because Judy's there and I'm there sometimes. Okay? And so so we're dog sitting, turtle sitting, and house sitting in Vianna. Okay? Well, here's the cool part. Wasn't long ago that they got a swimming pool put in. Now, let me tell you about swimming pools. What's better than owning a swimming pool? Having a daughter who does. Amen? Amen? If you've got a neighbor who's got a pool, you don't need one. You know, I, you know, Jeremy's got a truck. I don't need a truck. Jeremy's my friend. And I could call Jeremy and I say, Jeremy, can I borrow your truck? Sure, bud. Come on and get it. It's better than making the payments. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. All right, so, so here's the deal. Her pool is what they now call a salt water pool. Some of y'all got them. I know you do. You know, back, I had a pool in Cobb. That's why I'm so adamant about you don't need one. Okay, if you're tempted to get a pool, come see me. I will talk to you out of it. I will tell you, you don't need a pool. Okay, you need a neighbor who's got a pool, but you don't need one. So, so you, if you, the traditional way is you buy all these expensive chemicals, 
Okay, and you put them in every week, and you test the PA, and all that different stuff, okay? And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, if the stars align right, then your pool will stay clear and won't turn green, if all the things align right. Now, if you've got one of them salt water pools, you don't have to do all that stuff. You have something like a water softener kind of thing, and now this, if I'm wrong on this, that y'all just tell me later, or don't, and, and y'all will help me feel better. But you've got a big thing, you dump all this salt in it, and what it does is it slowly releases salt into the pool. Okay? Now, Judy says it's kind of like saline solution. Okay? So if you've got contacts, it's about that saltiness. Go home and squirt some in your mouth. Okay? Yes, get your bottle instead of squirting in your eye, just squirt it in your mouth. Okay? And, and you'll see it tastes a little salty. Well, that's kind of how this pool is. But here's the deal. As long as the salt's in the pool, you don't have algae. As long as the salt's in the pool, you don't have slime. As long because it's not it's it's so easy, if the salt's in the pool, you don't have a clarity problem. Now, when guess what happens when you don't? Yeah, well it says it right here. If you know you're the salt of the earth, it says that, okay? But if the salt should lose its taste, its effectiveness. How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on the men's feet. So if you've got a saltwater pool and you don't put the salt in the thing so it can put the salt in the thing, guess what you're going to do? You're going to wake up one day and you're going to have a green pool. You're going to have a slimy pool. You're going to have a pool that ain't clear. We're the salt of the earth. And when culture... When, when the church isn't doing its salt job, okay, it gets pretty green and pretty slimy and loses its clarity. But when the church, as the salt of the earth, is doing its job, it's clear, it's not slimy, and it is good. Church, we got to be the church. There's power in righteousness. You are the salt of the earth. But if we don't do our job... It's nothing to be thrown out and trampled under men's feet. But then he has to stop there. Then he says in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, he talks about light. Okay? He says, now, you're also, as your righteousness, don't forget, as your righteousness, righteousness exalts a nation, as your righteousness, you are the light of the world. See, Jesus said in John three nineteen, you know, this is the judgment that light came into the world and did not receive the light. Because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness rather than light. Okay? That's just the truth. Men love darkness rather than light. So, so Jesus comes into the world, and then because he came into the world, now we are the light of the world. And the opposite of darkness is light. Okay? And he says, you know, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. So, so as the righteousness of God in this nation, then we need to be, live out, we are righteous, and we need to live out our righteousness. So we can keep the pool clear, and so we can lie up this dark room. We are Christ ambassadors and representatives as God's people. Righteousness exalts a nation, and we live out the righteousness of God. We are declared righteous, and we live righteous, and by that, we can help exalt a nation. We do it one soul at a time, though. One soul at a time. Amen? Does this make sense? That's why it's so important. That's why this needs to be a priority. 
this God thing in your life, you know, it doesn't, I'm, I'm going to say it tonight, but I'll say it now. God does not want to be number one in your life. He wants to be your only one. That's tonight. God doesn't want to be your number one. He wants to be your only one. And when God is our only one and the church is the church, then we start impacting our community. And we see the power of righteousness. So he says in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, so, there's a nation can become righteous one soul at a time when the righteous people of God live out their righteousness. You know, Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God, His rule, and His righteousness, practically and positionally, and all these things will be added unto you. The answer for America today is Jesus Christ. It's not cute. It's not a saying. If I say it hard enough and loud enough, somebody will clap. It's none of that. It's simply the truth. The hope for America is Jesus Christ. But the church has got to seek Him first and His righteousness. Then all this other stuff will be added unto Him. Now, then we get to the second part. That's all the first part. Righteousness exalts a nation. But here's what it says. But sin is a disgrace to any people. When, I will say to appease us a little bit, when a nation chooses, but the bottom line is, you know, I think we underestimate the power of, of God in the church. Um, I think anything's possible with God. Amen? Anything's possible with God. Um, so, when we choose to huddle in our little churches and do our little worship thing, and then we go out and that's enough God for the week. When we do that, then sin proliferates. When, when, um, when the salt is allowed to run out, the pool gets cloudy and green and slimy. And when the church doesn't do its thing, its God thing, then culture becomes green, slimy, and loses its clarity. And sin is a disgrace to any people. Billy Graham, who's now in glory, of course, several years ago, this is not something, he didn't say this when he was like 99 fixing to die. He said this a couple of decades ago. And here's what he said. Self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. And he didn't say that two years ago. He said that decades, two decades ago. Self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. Hey, on August the 25th, um, we're going to do something really weird. Um, we're going to go out to the Iron Furnace, okay, unless the world changes, and we're going to do a creek baptism. So if you want to get baptized in a creek, we're, we're going to do that. And we've got several people who want to be baptized, and so we're going to try to work that out, okay? Now, the other day at the picnic, um, we decided that we would ride out Iron Furnace, you know? And so we got our little GPS thing out, and then um, we, you know, went out there. Well, we tried to go out there. So, so we, we turned at the right place, then we turned at the right place, and it said seven miles. And all I know is, is at the end of the day, I was in E-Town. That's all I know, and I know I heard banjos playing somewhere in the woods. That's all I know. That's all I know. We never found the iron furnace. But however, finally, finally we started getting a signal, and it picked up. And I said, oh, Judy, 
34 is right up here, and we're going to be in E-Town, and I'll know where we are. See, culture has lost its way, and it doesn't know where it is. One way you know where you are, if you've ever been to a place before, is that you look for landmarks. I'm going to read to you once again, I read it just about five weeks ago, um, a scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3. No commentary. No commentary. But listen and look for the landmarks of American culture. Know this. Hard times will come in the last days. Difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, if you were down a road and your wife said, where are we? And you would go, oh, I know where we are. You remember that barn or that road or you remember that cow? Well, all you have to do is listen to that. And I told you, I, I love America with all my heart. I do. But that is a roadmap of our culture today. Every time I listen to the news, I'm shocked about something fresh and new that's going on in our culture. We have lost, America has lost its way. And this is a snapshot of where we are right now. You know, what I'm about to say in no way implies this is what we are. It's what we should never become. But when the children of Israel were going into the promised land, God told them that they need to wipe out the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pesarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they were to destroy them. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, this is one of those things your friends would say, how can a loving God order something like that? Okay? And here's the deal. It's not going to appease you, and you're not going to like it. But the bottom line is that God looked at these cultures that were so evil that the world would be better off without them. That's why. They were so evil that the world would be better off without them. I'm not saying America's that. Please let me say that again. But I know we should never reach that point. And the crazy part is, you know what the principal sins were of those peoples? Sexual immorality and child sacrifice. Now, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to chase a rabbit down a hole. But our society is obsessed with sexual immorality. And too many babies are laid on the altar of sacrifice in the name of a woman's right or her body. What is the answer, Dwayne? What is the answer? Well, the answer is, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The answer is the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I wrote this down, and see if you like it or not like it. The only flicker of righteousness is from God's people and church. The question is, will it be enough? The only flicker of righteousness is from God's people and his church. And the question is, will it be enough? Did y'all know that Let's Make a Deal was not a TV show in modern history? It was an old TV show. You know, God and Abraham played Let's Make a Deal. Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, you know, Abram starts the, the Let's Make a Deal deal, you know. Hey, God! If there's like 50 righteous people, will you destroy the 50 righteous along with the people in Sodom? And God said, well, no, I, I wouldn't do that. If there are 50 people, I will not destroy the city. And Abram went down to 45. If there are 45 people, God. And God said, you know, if there's 45 righteous, I won't destroy the city. How about 40, God? Will you do 40? What's, the, what's find door number three here? 40. Will you do 40? Yeah, I'll do 40. If you find 40 righteous, I won't destroy the city. I'll withhold judgment from the city. 30? 30. 20? 20. 10, God? Yeah. If you find 10 righteous. You know what? There weren't 10 righteous. There was Lot and his wife and his daughters. Even the future son-in-laws laughed at Lot. And God destroyed some of them. This is not saying God's controlling America. Please don't hear that. I'm just telling you this. The hope for America is Jesus Christ. And the hope for getting the gospel out of these doors is with the people of God. We've got to do our job. And our job is to share the gospel of the good news. And we've got to live it out. We've got to live it out. I've got about seven minutes here. Let me just give you one more deal. And the one more deal is this thing about worship. That's what Psalm 33 was all about. See, we have done a wonderful job of telling the world what we're against. Everyone knows what we stand against. But can I ask you a question? Does the world know what we're for? Does the world know what we're for? We, we do a great job of, of saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But do we do a good job of telling the world what's right? What's right, Dwayne? Jesus! Jesus is right. Listen, in Psalm 34, 33, and verses 1 through 5, that's all we have time for this morning. That's enough. That's enough. Listen to this. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous one. So the word rejoice means be joyful. Be joyful. Listen, see, we walk around going, ain't nothing to be joyful about. The, you know, it just seems like the cultures fall apart. There ain't nothing to be joyful about. There's plenty to be joyful about because God is sovereign. God's in control. You're his child. You're going to heaven, and nothing hell can do can change that. That's good news. That's good news. Rejoice. Oh, Listen, I don't care the style of worship. 
I don't care if we're reading them out of a hymn book or they're on the screen. If they're old, if they're new, if they're loud, they're soft. I want those people who drive by Dorsville Baptist Church to know that there's something good going on at Dorsville. That there's some worship going on at Dorsville. And we are worshiping the one true God. That's what we need to be about. Let people know that you're glad to be a child of God. You're glad for an old rugged cross. You're glad for a God who loved you so much. He sent His Son Jesus to bleed and die and be slaughtered on a cross for you. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise the upright. Praise from the upright is beautiful. It's beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre, one of the instruments. Um, but praise Him. Make music to Him with a ten-string harp. Worship Him. As people go by, as they see our lives, not all worship takes place here, it takes place out there, that our lives should be one constant worship praise. I love this. Sing a new song to Him. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And they, we need to learn from heaven. And they sang... A new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Why? For you are slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. We need to sing a new song. The one we love was slaughtered for us. Slaughtered for us. That people from every tribe, language, and tongue shall be made a people of God. Sing a new song to Him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the Word of God is right. Pause. I've had up to here with political correctness. God doesn't know political correctness. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. This is the Word of God. It is right. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Let me close with a quote from Francis Chan. He used to be one of the up-and-coming stars. I'm not sure what he's doing now. I mean, I know he's preaching, but I'm not sure where. He's a cool guy. He says this. Isn't it a comfort... To worship a God that we cannot exaggerate. You've got to like that one. Isn't it great? Isn't it a comfort to worship a God that we cannot exaggerate? Thank you, God. Thank you. Church, there's power in righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. We have no righteousness to offer of our own. All our righteousness is filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who, doeth good, who does good. But, because of His great love for us, 
the death of his son Jesus on the cross, then any man, woman, and child who's willing to turn from their sin, turn from their sin, and follow Christ, will be declared righteous by God. And I know that probably frustrates Satan. But I love it. Don't you love it? Because there's nothing he can do about it. Satan can huff and puff and try to blow my house down. But I've been declared righteous by God. I may mess up regularly, and I do. But I've been declared righteous by God. Your husband may not be the husband you thought he was going to be. But he, if he knows Jesus, has been declared righteous by God. And, and ma'am, you may not be the wife. And your children may not be the children. And your boss may not be the boss. But the amazing part is that once we are declared righteous, we are righteous. I love the eternal security of the true child of God. That nothing hell can do can change my position with God. I love that. And that's the best news. That's the best news. So we've got to get out of here and get out there and, one, enjoy our position in Christ. Rejoice. The worship of the upright is beautiful. Sing a new song to him. Let that be on our lips. And then when people, we're going to make it easy. So when somebody goes, what is up with you? Glad you asked. I'm not asking asking you to knock on cold turkey on a door. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying go out there, enjoy your position in Jesus, and live your righteousness out, and watch people come to you and go, I don't know what you've got, but I want it. And then you just tell them what Jesus did for you. And that's it. That's it. The hope for America is Jesus. We've got the answer. And now we need to share that answer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Thank you for letting me share today. Thank you so much for your patience. What a responsibility we've been given. You know, Paul said we're ambassadors for Christ. You know, that he also said we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our plea is, go and be reconciled to God. But the fact that God entrusted us, his people with that, is just an amazing thing. So is there hope for America? Emphatically, yes. Not be- listen, listen, listen. Not because God owes America anything, but because there are God's righteous people, as there are in other nations, but there are God's righteous people. We just need to rise to the call and be what God's called us to be. A light and salt in our community. God, I just want to thank you so much for the privilege of sharing today. You are so incredible. I want to pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I want to ask it in your name that you just burn this in our hearts. Father, we want to expect people to walk up to us and ask what's different in our lives. And then, Father, just simply speak what you have done for us. I thank you for the Doorsville Baptist Church. And I thank, Father, for other churches. Lord, in our community and so faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to pray, Father, for the ones that are listening on the radio and on Facebook Live today. We want to pray, Father, that they've heard some truth that might speak into their hearts. Thank you for them joining us, Lord, today. So during our time of decision, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our lives? In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.